This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Wednesday, the final day of November, we welcome you to Real Talk. Jesperson here with technical producer John Hicks, who's been working his magic over the past few hours. Another episode of Seriously. (laughs) You have been working your magic for years. Sorry about that. That was a real underestimation of what you brought to the table. It was 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 an assessment that fell short of reflecting the magnitude of the contribution that you make. The point I'm making, or that I'm trying to make, is that we've just pushed out a new episode of Seriously. You know, every Wednesday that goes out. Uh, Supriya Devetti and my weekly project. You can subscribe to it on YouTube, uh, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, of course, it's Berta, baby. We talked to Alberta for virtually the entire episode, and that's going to be the story on today's Real Talk as well. In just a second, she's kind of a big deal. CTV has just named her their chief political correspondent. She's going to be the host of Power Play. She's going to be the host of CTV Question Period. Of course, the longtime host of Power and Politics on CBC, Vashi Capellos will make her Real Talk debut, plus longtime and well-respected political columnist Graham Thompson will join us in the second half of today's episode as we break down the the early impressions, the early assessments, the ripples, do you call them, or or do do you call them tidal waves of impact? Act that Alberta Premier Danielle Smith's Alberta Sovereignty Act, the Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, Bill 1 under the Smith government, tabled in the Alberta legislature yesterday. It's being described by many critics, by pundits, as undemocratic, as concerning. Graham Thompson has an unbelievable assessment of it in his column in the Toronto Star today. Uh, I'm going to save it for Graham because I want to see his facial expression when I read his own words back to him. A really incredible assessment of, of what we're seeing in a bill that essentially would give the Alberta government and Alberta's premier unprecedented powers to circumvent federal laws, to tell Ottawa if and when Alberta would observe anything that the rest of Canada would be expected to adhere to. There are implications as well for Albertans. And we're going to dig into today and quite frankly, for the remainder of this week, what that means and what you need to know about this legislation. I got an email this morning, talk at ryanjesperson.com. I mean, quite frankly, we got a bunch of emails this morning. We're going to get to a few of them. This one from Ninja Mom, who wrote in and said, Jesperson, please have an expert on today or soon who will say that Bill 1 won't pass, that it will get turned down at some point. I need to have hope that this Sovereignty Act is just so terrible that it's safe to assume that it won't happen. Ninja Mom is, is just looking for a, a, a little mental, a little peace. She, she wants the, 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 the waters to calm and to still. She's troubled by this. If you're a supporter of this, the spirit of it, the actual approach to it, we're curious to hear your assessment as well. We'll be keeping an eye on our hashtag, RealTalkRJ, powered by our friends at Park Power. And of course, we'll be looking at the live chat for those of you that are joining us live at 8.30 Mountain, 10.30 Eastern weekday mornings. We sure appreciate that. Here's some of the scuttlebutt that we saw on Twitter 
yesterday afternoon. We're talking Tuesday afternoon after Danielle Smith rolled this out in the legislature. Then, of course, speaking to reporters after, and we'll bring you a portion of, of what she had to say. But but here's what some of the talk looked like online. Uh, former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi had something to say about reports uh, that Danielle Smith, the, the Premier herself, was calling organizers of events like the Alberta Winter Games, talking about calling film producers uh, from jurisdictions outside Alberta about vaccine mandates if they wanted to do business in the province uh, mayor nenshi former mayor nenshi saying alberta you know we want more and more hollywood and international films to come film here also alberta studios can expect a call from the premier questioning your international business practices because they know more about your business and the choices you make than you do uh, that from former Mayor Nenshi. What about this one? Uh, another one that we tracked down on Twitter. We're just pulling these at random. We're just taking a look at what people are saying. These are uh, s- stories and tweets that were coming across my timeline. I'm sure that you were seeing a lot of these on yours as well. Opposition MLA Janice Irwin and MLA for the Alberta NDP says the mentions in the UCP throne speech delivered Tuesday afternoon. Uh, climate change, zero. Women, zero. Housing, zero. Education, three. And Ottawa, seven. That from Janice Irwin, who's making her point with a hammer, of course. Another one that jumped out at us, uh, Real Talk editorial board member, co-host of the Strategist podcast. Make sure you subscribe to them as well. Corey Hogan out of Calgary says, let's set aside policy. Let's talk implementation for a moment. Process matters. You know, let's apply the what if my political opponents did this test. The question to ask yourself about Bill 1 is if Justin Trudeau gave his cabinet authority to rewrite laws without parliament, how would you feel? I want to let that one breathe. Let that one settle for a moment. And this from political scientist Dwayne Bratt. You've seen him on Real Talk many times before. He says, this needs to be emphasized. The Sovereignty Act is not just about standing up to Ottawa for federal intrusions into provincial jurisdiction. It grants sweeping powers to cabinet says the political scientist at Mount Royal University, this is fundamentally undemocratic. I mean, in layperson's terms, what this allows is for the premier and her cabinet to circumvent even the Alberta legislature in implementing laws. There's insulations there for them that protect them from civil litigation. It cuts down on concerned Albertans' rights and opportunities to challenge some of these rulings in courts. There's a lot to dig into here, and we're going to do that coming up through the course of this show. Before we do, you know these conversations happen on the show because of sponsors that believe in the importance of platforms where we can have Real talk. And that includes McBain Camera, who's ready to set you up. If you're one of these folks that's taking a look at the calendar and realizing that you have just three short weeks left to complete your holiday shopping, for the creator in your life, the photographer, the videographer, the vlogger, maybe just the enthusiastic traveler, the McBain Black Friday sale ends tomorrow. And you don't want to miss out on amazing deals on camera accessories like the Low Pro Pro Tactic backpack for photographers safe storage and transport of their gear is a constant concern and that's why a smartly designed backpack from low pro makes the perfect gift for the shutterbug on your list the low pro green line pro tactic bp 350 aw2 features always ready access to your camera your lenses form shell construction it's lightweight and offers superior protection it's made from almost 65 percent recycled and solution dyed fabrics you can save 30 bucks until december 1st for black friday at mcbain just 339.99 you can shop online at mcbaincamera.com today to see a full list of black friday deals mcbain create 
to inspire. At Kubi Energy, you know that they're providing solar energy solutions for for homes, for businesses, even agricultural operations across BC and on and Alberta as well. Of course, out of their Kamloops and Edmonton offices, you know a lot of people think that their house might not be good for solar because of those long winter months with limited sunlight, or maybe because the house faces east or west. That's not the case. The, the minor loss in efficiency can be made up with one or two extra panels. Not a huge difference maker. Oh, and by the way, solar panels, you know they're warrantied for 30 years so you'll break even financially in roughly a third of that time the next two thirds the next 20 years or so it's just gravy baby you can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca and our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that, of course, tomorrow, the first of the month, that means that on December 1st, it's 15% off all grocery purchases of $75 or more. That's a big deal, especially for families that are looking for ways to manage inflation and higher costs of living, right? Friesen Brothers, you know, out of 16 Alberta communities, proudly family-owned. And this week, we honor the legacy of Friesen Brothers founder, Frank Loveson, who passed away peacefully on November 20th, surrounded by his family. Frank, a dear friend and supporter of this show, and we remember him. You can read a tribute to him, a wonderful one at that, at Friesen.com. Vashi Capellos in 30 seconds. First, we wanted to bring you this yesterday from the podium. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, after introducing her Bill 1 in the Alberta legislature, that long-promised Alberta Sovereignty Act had this to say, essentially saber-rattling aimed at the East. We are finally telling the federal government, no more. It's time to stand up for Alberta. Bill 1, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, is a first step in standing up for Albertans and pushing Ottawa back into its own lane. When passed, this legislation will create a constitutional legal framework for Alberta to push back against federal interference and encroachment. Uh, To push back. That's Alberta Premier Daniel Smith, of course. Vashi Capellos about to start her new job at CTV as chief political correspondent and host of Power Play, Question Period, and an afternoon radio show. Before that, you know her as the longtime host of Power and Politics on CBC. And of course, before that, a longtime legislative journalist, a correspondent for Global News out of the province of Alberta. She's making her Real Talk debut today. It is wonderful to see you, my friend. Congratulations, Hi. first of all, on a personal and a professional level on the new gig. Well-deserved and uh, hugely high profile. You've got to be super excited. Oh, thank you so much. And it's so great to see you again. It's so I'm so um, pumped to be on uh, Real Talk. I listen to you all the time. And yes, I am really excited. Thank you. Well, that means a lot. And, and we can say words on our show that you can't on yours. And I know <laughs> that you're not bullshitting me because you reach out from time to time and you say, I love that interview with whomever. And, and I, I'll be honest, I get a bit chuffed when I know that Vashi Capellas is tuning into the show. Uh, regular watchers of yours as well. The mutual back scratches out of the way. Um, I, I, was, I was a little surprised as well. I didn't know you were going to be Hosting an afternoon radio show because question period is going to be on the weekend. You're you're busting your ass over there. This is this is a big commitment. It is, um, but I'm a hustler, so yeah, you <laughs> I'm, are. Not, I'm not afraid of that. I mean, the the radio show is certainly the most daunting for me. The other two are kind of similar to what I've been doing. So it's it's uh, it's your brain that I certainly need to pick on that because I what you do every day is amazing, and I. Um, it literally, I, I started on December 12th and I'm spending the next 12 days basically figuring out, it's like a two hour show, mm. trying to figure out, uh, 
how to navigate it, how to show my personality without getting myself in trouble. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the fine line, and don't pick my brain on that. Uh, but, I, but, but, but I will say this. Uh, one of the really cool things about radio, and, and I think you'll figure it out quickly because you have the skill set, certainly, is that television is such a production, obviously, especially on, on a national show, the national shows like you're going to be hosting. Radio, it feels in a wonderful way a little bit more casual. It feels like how people talk in coffee shops. It feels like how they talk on the sidelines at soccer games. And I guarantee, I mean, I spent a lot of years in television as well. You're going to fall in love with radio. I'm confident in saying that. Yeah, I have that feeling too. Evan uh, Solomon, who I'm replacing, said basically the same thing to me, sort of like he didn't know what to expect and it ended up being his favorite part of his job. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, if you were still reporting out of the Alberta legislature, the throne speech yesterday, people listening on the podcast don't know that your eyes just went to the size of uh, <laughs> dinner plates. Uh, what would your lead be? How, how, how would you jump into this story out of Alberta? Oh my goodness. First of all, I wish I were still in Alberta today because I am glued to it. I also wish I'm not starting the shows uh, on air till January, uh, just because December, there's kind of some weird scheduling things with them going on hiatus in December and stuff. So there was no point in starting this early, but boy, did I want to be hosting tonight. Uh, I would be do. I, I would have gone hard all last night and all tonight on it. Uh, I just think for, for a number of reasons, first of all, just within Alberta itself, I mean, uh, you know, like me, we've covered it for so long. There's always some wild, interesting, uh, you know, unpredictable element to it. But this takes that to a new level. And then for me, just having been in Ottawa now for the last, you know, nearly 10 years, the dynamic between the federal government and the province is, again, often wrought with conflict, but like n- I don't think I've ever seen it manifested in this way. And I'm very curious. I've got one ear the whole morning. I've been listening. I came in early just because it's caucus today in Ottawa. So you see all the MPs coming in and various reporters stopping them. And of course, asking their, the first question is about this. What does it mean? Like, how is the government interpreting this? What will the response be like today? And I just feel like that's where my eyes are at this moment, because because it wasn't you know, I think lots of the headlines I've read have been accurate. Like it was more than expected. Yeah. More, more than promised, more than sort of uh, uh, signals. And especially, I think you highlighted the, the the part to me, which is the most fascinating, This, the degree to which cabinet will be able to make decisions they would have required more support from a broader cross-section of MLAs before doing in the past is like staggering. Um, And then also this concept, like you can just ignore federal laws, which I know has been bandied about sort of, uh, you know, conversationally and politically, but to see it written into a proposed law, uh, I'm very interested to see the, the way in which the prime minister reacts, the way in which the government decides to handle it. So far, everything I've heard is like kind of downplaying it. And all the reporters, I think, have the right follow up, which is, uh, are you sure about that? Like, are you really saying things are okay between Alberta and Ottawa? Like this could have pretty extreme consequences, extreme, not could have, it would, it will, if it's passed, have extreme consequences on that relationship. And so that's definitely what I'm watching. I'm I'm trying to think of what, what my headline would be, what my lead would be. Probably Alberta goes nuclear. Yeah. Alberta goes nuclear. I, I like that. It's it's fitting. It's it's uh, like to give people some examples and and there's a, there's a lot to sift through. There's a lot to dig into. I mean, you you could take a look at one element or one angle of it and spend five hours on it. Uh, the implications are that you know 
for example, municipalities in Alberta or police services, police forces in Alberta could be directed by the provincial government. Um, the, the provincial government could override federal directives or laws. Uh, there, there's, you know, I mean, opposition is, is quick to point out here. I mean, Daniel Smith won this leadership race through, through the course of, uh, as far as we can tell, reputable uh, process. Uh, she won fair and square, so to, pe- so to speak, whether or not people like that. But it's also true that Danielle Smith won the premier's office with the equivalent of about 1% of Albertans sending her there. And so to see her introducing a bill that gives her and her cabinet sweeping powers, including over the legislature, uh, I think that that's why a lot of people are are obviously not just raising eyebrows. I mean, that would be the the understatement of of the year. I'm curious to know how you'll – I talked to Supri about this on Seriously just a couple of hours ago about the federal response to this. And and we asked – I'll acknowledge – you know as well how quickly comments and interviews can age in our business. You can talk to somebody two hours previous yeah. and then something develops and then the conversation is virtually meaningless. But we talked to Minister Randy Boissonneau the other day and and he seemed to take that brush off approach of, of how the feds would respond to what was expected in this Sovereignty Act. After seeing it yesterday afternoon, the prime minister basically said, we're going to keep as a federal government focusing on what we know are the priorities of Albertans, which are rising costs. Of course, I want to talk about climate change and things like that you think that can play forever you think it's the smartest play for the federal government to come across at risk of looking somewhat dismissive or do you think it's the smart play strategically Uh, that's a good question i i think i i don't want to sort of um you know take the easy route out but i do think time will tell uh to a certain degree i think that from a governing standpoint uh kind of trying not to fan the flames is probably not the worst idea. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of understand that viewpoint to, to, to a certain degree, but if you think back a few years, uh, or around any campaign time that has not been the posture of the federal liberals, right. It's that fanning the flames often just as it works for provincial conservative governments often works for the federal liberal government too. And it's been politically in the interest of both at times to be at odds with with each other. I think that the question takes on a bit of a new meaning, though, as you put it, when the stakes are that much higher. So where it would have been often rhetoric in the past, right? We should have our own pension system. We should have our own provincial police force. Uh, we should have kind of the same deals that Quebec gets. And I'm speaking of, you know, former other Alberta politicians. Now it's like, okay, well, we're instructing, you know, if this passes, we would be instructing uh, uh bodies under the jurisdiction of the province to uh, ignore federal laws at our will. Uh, And that is unprecedented. And I think might, even from a governing standpoint, not even a political standpoint, necessitate a a bit different of a response eventually. That's why I keep looking over to the side because I'm looking to see as these MPs walk in, if any of them start to deviate from the position that we've heard so far. And if we do if there might be some something else from the prime minister today, maybe a bit more of a finer point on I, I don't expect him to come out, you know, guns blazing. It, it just it just would be so uh, so different in direction from what we've heard so far. But I, I do think that the, the rubber will hit the road eventually. Uh, maybe they think to. they can. Yeah, well, maybe they think they can stave it off. Maybe if this isn't debated till the spring, it never ends up. 
I, I don't know who who knows, but uh, eventually, if it does, if the rubber does hit the road and it passes, I think this type of response, if this were actually law at this moment, would be wanting. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, if you if you take a look at the political strategy of, of what Premier Smith's advisors uh, might be talking to her about, of course, this is a campaign legislative session, right? Albertans will will vote in May of 2023. Danielle Smith will want to, to earn a, a full mandate, obviously. She'll want to put that, that stamp on a legacy as premier that would extend beyond six months, to say the very least. Of course, you know that Rachel Notley wants that job back, but I think it's way better if you're Danielle Smith. It's way better. It's way easier to be campaigning against or fighting Justin Trudeau on the campaign trail than it is to be campaigning against or fighting Rachel Notley. What do you think? I think that that thesis has been proven by people in the past, namely Danielle Smith's predecessor, Jason Kenney, who won a resounding victory in his election, uh, not his leadership review, but his election, the provincial election, largely campaigning more so against Justin Trudeau than Rachel Notley. If you think about even the language that he used or the rhetoric he used to characterize Justin Trudeau versus characterizing Rachel Notley, it was clear that he thought one was more politically advantageous and and they were right. He was right. It, it worked. There is a, a deep dissatisfaction with the federal liberals and in particular the prime minister in Alberta. And so that has certainly proven to be a, a strategy that works. But again, it was like a, in a different way, right? It was not. Um, it, it was not with the threat of. Yes, there was the threat of doing certain things with provincial autonomy, but it was not with the threat of flouting the uh, justice system as we know it or the legal system as we know it, right? It was. It it, it was different. So, uh, and then also, um, I what I've what I've sort of garnered so far, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but even being in Alberta for the the night Danielle Smith won and listening to her speech, it's this uh, idea that uh, instead of targeting Rachel Notley specifically, it's linking Rachel Notley as an ally, a close ally of not just Justin Trudeau, but Jagmeet Singh, which has proven successful. The, the linkage between Mr. Singh and, and the prime minister has proven successful for the federal conservatives to a certain degree, right? This idea that there's this coalition and uh, the socialist coalition and, and we're fighting this kind of common enemy is how I would describe they have described it. If you add in Rachel Notley to the mix, that's very much what I see Danielle Smith doing. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I would expect that that would continue, whether it proves successful or not, whether this goes too far. I mean, all of that depends on how far the premier ends up taking it, but we've already got a pretty good indication she's going to take it very far. Yeah. Justin Trudeau, Jagmeet Singh, and Karl Marx. Don't forget. I think, right. I think, the yeah, third. Those, uh, the three. Those are the, the three. three. Yeah. The yeah three communism. There, yeah. The word communism is getting thrown around a lot these days. Communism, <laughs> Nazis. I think we all we, we can all benefit from another history lesson. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, outgoing premier, former not outgoing. He's gone. Former premier Jason Kenney announcing his resignation as an MLA uh, as a representative for, for South Calgary yesterday in the legislature. And I wanted to read a couple of quick things from a statement that he released and, and pick your brain on it, including uh, a very good point that you made there's 
you know, Kenny, uh, I mean, the guy stands, you know, he, he, he walked the walk, at least in this uh, context for sure, when, when Queen Elizabeth II passed away. I mean, this guy stood, you know, for more than a dozen hours in queue uh, to pay his respects. He has a great deal of respect for the monarchy and the, the constitutional uh, history of Canada and, and the platform upon which this is all built, the foundation, let me call it. And, and, he, and, and he, you know, the, the difference is apparent between the two premiers' approach, I think. And in his statement leaving yesterday, he says, our Westminster parliamentary democracy, part of our constitutional monarchy, is the guardian of a unique tradition of ordered liberty and the rule of law, right? And, and I thought that that was something that I, I can't imagine our current premier speaking like that. Kenny's a bit of a unique animal in that way. Uh, but it's hard to imagine him tabling legislation like this. Uh, before I ask you about another statement, uh, another comment that he makes in, in, in closing his statement to Albertans and to his constituents, let me ask you how you'd characterize the legacy of Jason Kenney as Alberta's premier. There are some points to be made uh, that, that you know his supporters are saying prove that he left Alberta better off than when he came in. How would you characterize it? I think it's a bit of a mixed legacy. Um, I think I'll say from my vantage point in Ottawa, when he was here, he was recognized as a very smart individual and a very savvy political operator. Um, he could kind of read the room pretty well. And he was, of course, known most famously or infamously uh, as such a key part of the conservatives campaigns and their outreach to uh, immigrant, various immigrant and ethnic communities, right? He was like their kind of like their kingmaker, their their operative in that respect. So he was viewed um, like people had a lot of respect for him in Ottawa. And I think the expectations given his success in the provincial election were very high. But throughout COVID, I think uh, that legacy was damaged to a great extent by the sort of whiplash we all had and the kind of decisions made that didn't seem to make sense. And then the weird responses to the very predictable reactions from Albertans, right? I'm thinking of the Christmas trips and like, uh, you know, changing his mind on uh, and, and not sort of communicating clearly on COVID restrictions and saying he'd never do things and then doing things. And, and certainly like I, a lot of the things we saw through COVID were also mistakes echoed or not even mistakes, just like moves echoed very closely by Ontario's premier, Doug Ford, who was able through a lot of, uh, I don't know if humility is the right word, but the ability to say to people in Ontario, I messed up, I made the wrong choice, we're going to go in a different direction, was able to kind of rescue his own political life and win another big majority in, in the last election. Jason Kenney didn't employ any of those tactics and didn't read the room in the way that I think a lot of us anticipated he could have or he would have. And I think that led to ultimately his downfall, right? He was not able to manage his caucus. He was not able to read the room when it came to Albertans throughout all the the ups and downs of COVID, which are not you know unique to to his premiership. It happened all across the country, but he really seemed to kind of implode at times, right, politically. Um, I do think, though, I mean, he's buoyed by some some real luck when it comes to the finances of Alberta, right? Especially in the last six months to eight, six to eight months of his tenure, uh, the price of oil skyrocketed and the fortunes of Alberta, as you and I both know, and probably everybody listening know, goes with that. Uh, and so he was he was greatly aided by that. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that he said he would do that that he did do. Right. And. 
in that respect, I think, you know, and especially now in the with the fullness of time, we'll see what happens with Danielle Smith. But his legacy might look a lot different a few years from now than it does even at this point or if it, it did eight months ago when he was kind of booted from from the or whenever the exact time was. I can't remember March, I guess, May, May, mm. sorry, uh, when he was booted for not even eight months <laughs> uh, when he was booted from the, from the party's leadership. So uh, right now I feel like it's a very mixed legacy um, and uh like I said, though, in the fullness of time, relative to people who assume the position after, the the view on that legacy may evolve as well. Yeah, fair point. He 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 continues in his statement, says, "I'm concerned that our democratic life is veering away from ordinary prudential debate towards a polarization that undermines our bedrock institutions and principles." Uh, goes on to to talk about that. He says, "On the far left, we see efforts to cancel our history." delegitimize our historically grounded institutions and customs and divide society dangerously along identity lines. And from the far right, we see a vengeful anger and toxic cynicism, which often seeks to tear things down rather than build up and improve our imperfect institutions. It kind of feels like the pot calling the kettle black. It kind of feels like the arsonist lamenting the loss of a building that burned to the ground. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I think I understand that viewpoint. I think, and and you, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is he contributed to the problem that he's a, a explaining and uh, condemning at, at this point. I think two things can be true. I think uh, what he says can be accurate. I think it, 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 I think it actually reflects what a lot of people in this country feel right now. Um, and I think it's important for uh, people of a certain political stature to make those kind of statements and be unequivocal about them. But it sure would have been nice to hear that four years ago. I think that's an equally true sentiment. And I think that, um, you know, is I, I don't I don't want to call anyone an arsonist, but did he contribute to uh, certainly the uh, the sentiments he's describing on the far right? Did he encourage it when it was politically expedient? Probably, yes, to the same degree that it is being encouraged now. No, but he is not sort of, you know, hands washed of it, scot-free, guilt-free in all of this. Uh, th- that sentiment that is now manifesting to the nth degree in places like Alberta was one that he nurtured in order to, um, you know, be successful in Alberta, to be successful provincially. I'm not also saying that that sentiment at its base level is without merit. I understand the viewpoint that, and I've lived in central Canada and I've lived in Alberta. I understand the viewpoint that Alberta feels discounted. I understand the viewpoint that its resources are, you know, uh, you know, it feels like your resources are being co-opted by people who don't want to see them used to their full potential um, but I, I also, you know, I, I see the other side as well. And so I, um, I think the sentiment at its base is understandable, but often uh, former Premier Kenny and other politicians use it in a kind of, uh, you know, not, not that I'm the one to deem it this way, but like irresponsible way, right? They, they exploit that sentiment in order to be successful politically. And what we're left with at the end of the day are people who truly feel that way and feel that the best method to deal with it is through anger. And we see that anger on so many different places, on so many different levels, again, you know, feeding into it in order to be politically successful. And 
I get it. I'm not a, you know, I'm not naive politically. I understand that you have to win and sometimes you have to do things to win. But at the end of the day, you're left with a society as he describes it in that statement. And that's not a great thing right now, right? That level of polarization is maybe not the best thing for our country. Uh, and so I think, you know, we all have to kind of figure out uh, what role we play in that. And we all have to look in the mirror. And so does Jason Kenney, I think. Imagine telling an Alberta premier to look in the mirror instead of the other way around. Hey, Major Prentice, rest in peace, of course. Uh, Vashi, we are thrilled for you, and I'm super excited to see the stamp that you're going to put on CTV's flagship political programs. Uh, nobody asks pointed questions like you do. People will be able to catch you in the new year, correct? Uh, making in your on-air debut as CTV's chief political correspondent, <laughs> no big deal, the host of Power Play, <laughs> Question Period, and of course, an afternoon radio program property as well. Uh, hopefully they'll let you do this show again as well once you're officially in that seat. Thanks for doing this today. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a great pleasure to see you and uh, the happiest of the holiday season to you and your family, Ryan. To you as well, my friend. That's Vashi Capellos. Give her a follow on Twitter, on Instagram, at Vashi Capellos. And of course, catch her in 2023 on CTV. That's a huge get for them uh, with with all due respect to Evan Solomon, who's a fantastic broadcaster. This, this to be honest, feels like you talk about filling shoes uh, when somebody brings even nicer shoes to the dance. Uh, that's what it feels like. Vashi is a real talent. And uh, this is uh, a, a fantastic stage for her to, to really shine. Uh, Graham Thompson coming up in just a moment. Uh, Graham's been covering Alberta politics for decades, and he has a fantastic must-read column in today's Toronto Star that we're going to get to. This conversation is presented by Canada's Open University. You can find Athabasca University online at Athabasca askyou.ca find out how it works you know it's guaranteed to have something that meets your needs your ambition something that fits your lifestyle you can get a canadian education online with au no matter where you live the Athabasca University experience is different from other universities by design. It's the whole point. It's more accessible, more flexible, more equitable, and more personalized for everyone. You know, for example, uh, if you're into faculty-specific, you know, science, for example, did you know that AU has Canada's first and only online architectural program? Is there a design future for you? Discover AU's architecture program. That's just one example today at AthabascaU.ca. Now, if you've already got your career schooling completed, but maybe you're just feeling like you need a change of pace, are you a professional engineer? Are we speaking directly to you? Hey, do yourself a favor and take a few minutes, tour around apexautomation.com. CA. It's one of Canada's fastest growing automation firms and the most talented engineers in the country are looking to Apex Automation because they're giving people back their time. Their whole priority is on their team. They've their quality. I mean it's superior to most. They've they've invested in labs in their office for testing all of their software, all their hardware. This is just one example before it gets deployed to client sites. It minimizes errors, it minimizes costly delivery. Delays. They bring the clients into the office for multiple days or even weeks for thorough testing and training of new projects. They go above and beyond at Apex Automation. Find them at Apex Automation. Again, apexautomation.ca. 
And at Grand Dog Essentials, what can we say that means more than we feed our dogs, our family members, Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food? Today is the final day for a sale that they've got going online at granddog.ca. Their Doggy Moggy Chicken Blend on sale for the month of November. They've knocked 20% off. You don't even need a discount code. And they've got a new product blend as well, Doggy Moggy Beef Chicken. Now, why combine different proteins? Well, well, a variety is really important when you're feeding your pets. And, and more protein options provide an array of nutrients to your pups. It's a great way to create balance on a raw dog food diet. They're making it easier for you to achieve this with the Doggy Moggy Beef Chicken Blend. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order. It's delivered to your door. If you live in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta, you'll find our friends online at granddog.ca. Well, it's pretty rare that uh, the lead line of a column makes me laugh out loud. Uh, But Johnny, you heard me shriek when I read this from Graham Thompson just a couple of hours ago online at thestar.com. The headline, Danielle Smith's Sovereignty Act is a glaring and scary example of provincial government overreach. Writes our next guest. Observers had long suspected Alberta's Sovereignty Act, once unveiled, would look like a dog's breakfast. What we didn't realize was that it would look like a dog's breakfast after it had been through the dog. Incredible. Graham Thompson returning to the show. It's nice to see you. Did that one Thanks come easy? How many hours did you spend putting that <laughs> one together? That's one of the best leads I've read all year, buddy. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, because you know something? When we saw the act yesterday, in the morning, we were given the briefing. You know, the press gallery, the media were given the briefing. We weren't actually given the... Um, the act to look at, as a matter of the MLAC at first, we were given a briefing on the general gist of it. And we had a real hard time understanding it, thinking, wait, wait a minute, you, you, you're actually going to be um, bypassing the legislature to bring in amendments to the legislation. You're going to let the politicians decide what is unco- unconstitutional, not the courts. So we were aghast at this. And then when there was a news conference yesterday, uh, we had a chance to ask some questions of uh, Daniel Smith and we realized, yeah, like, this is this is a lot more worse perhaps than what we thought the sovereignty act was going to be you know she talked a lot about it during her leadership her successful leadership uh race um becoming the ucp leader and the premier promised to fight back against ottawa and ignore federal laws we thought well she really can't really mean it that much and she's gonna have to water it down well no she is going to pass a law and it will be passed because she controls the majority of members in the legislature that's going to basically let the politicians decide, meaning the government, meaning her, basically, what laws, federal laws, pro- programs, and policies are unconstitutional and harmful to Alberta, not the courts, and then give herself the cabinet the power to start amending provincial legislation to fight back. Normally, when you amend legislation, it goes through an entire, you get first reading, a second reading, it's like a, it's a bill, basically, to amend a bill, but no. What they're doing basically is a show of hands to start amending provincial laws. It is absolutely astounding what the problems, what powers Smith is giving herself. You describe it in your piece as confusing, undemocratic, and scary. 
and, and I want to hit on all three of those. But one of the most important things I think for for us to cover early in our conversation, Graham, uh, especially considering the the depth of your history and your understanding of the dynamic of Alberta politics and how politicians' messages and actions resonate with the electorate here. A lot of this is is being spun, or at least interpreted or covered as Alberta versus Ottawa. But there are big implications for Albertans as well. And I'm not just talking about chasing away head offices, and I'm not just talking about the, the damage that could be done with regards to international investment, but I'm talking about citizens too. Why don't we get into that to make sure that we have the full attention of the Western Canadian audience? Yeah. So what's happening here? Yeah. Besides, you're right. You know, this could scare away investors. This is very much, it sounds like a power grab by um, um, Smith. It's really ironic. You have this freedom-loving libertarian who does not think who doesn't like the idea of governments interfering in people's lives, and she's grabbing power to interfere in people's lives. As I mentioned, um, you know, we have steps. When you have a provincial law you want to amend it, you have to introduce the amendment in the legislature, first reading, second reading, committee of the whole goes to third reading. It could take days, weeks, months to change legislation. What she has done now, or will do when the act is passed, is allow the cabinet to unilaterally change legislation all it's going to be is basically a show of hands, and I'm being simplistic here, but a show of hands in the House, and away you go. It's not, it's not going to take at least any amount of time. It's her doing an end run around the legislative process. Democracy. They're doing an end run around democracy to show to um, her base, her angry conservative base, who thinks that Ottawa's out to, you know, to, um, to completely undermine our economy. She's saying, don't worry, I'm going to act quickly to fight Ottawa. But it's not just a fight against Ottawa. What she's doing here is undermining the democratic process in Alberta. Were you surprised with regards to the the, the tone that Premier Smith would, would set, would establish with Bill 1? Bill 1 is always very meaningful, right? It's it's a way to, re- I mean, on the heels of the throne speech, and you have everyone's full attention. It's not five weeks into session, and the average person's kind of lost interest, or there's a lot of things going on. I mean, this is an opportunity uh, to make a big statement, and and. Prior to it, uh, the premier had gone on the record like 24 hours prior to it and said, listen, we're not going to table legislation to, to protect unvaccinated Albertans under, under human rights laws. That's that's not she says we're going to look at the laws, but we don't uh, make that a priority in this session to change the law. And and even I on this show, I'm going, well, I wonder, does that qualify as a flip flop? And I know Rick Bell, who's going to join us tomorrow. He said, well, he said, well, no, she's still got big plans for this. But it sort of looked like she was pumping the brakes, like she was maybe pumping the brakes on the crazy to earn the trust of the four million people to whom she wants to appeal next May, next election. Right. And so you go, okay, well, she's backing off. She understood. We saw it with with Aaron O'Toole in the federal conservative leadership race. Right. Going far right in the leadership race and then coming back to the middle, which which arguably killed his career as conservative leader. But I digress. In this circumstance, after saying that she won't change human rights laws to protect the unvaccinated, one day later, she goes pedal to the metal with this Alberta Sovereignty Act. Are you surprised, like from a street strategic standpoint, ahead of an election? But think, yes, I was, and, and yes and no. In a sense, going back to that idea where she said, I'm going to shelve this idea of changing the Human Rights Act to give you know um, protection to the unvaccinated under the Human Rights Act. Uh, but then the thing is, at the same news conference, she said, well, yes, she's been making telephone calls, though, to groups, organizations 
to try and force them to drop their vaccine mandate. So yes, she's shelving the idea of changing the Human Rights Act. At the same time, she's actually using um, the bully pulpit of her office and government money to try and twist arms to have groups drop their vaccine mandates or any sort of uh, mask mandates. For example, she admitted this week that she had phoned up the um, the Arctic Winter Games. They're going to be held in northern Alberta in January, February, and said to them, you have a vaccine mandate for your athletes. Yes, we do. Um, you know, we're giving you $1.2 million. Maybe you should rethink that vaccine mandate. And lo and behold, the Arctic Winter Games that were getting money from the Alberta government suddenly dropped the vaccine mandate. And Smith is very open about this. And she's having her ministers make calls to groups, organizations, businesses that still have mandates trying to twist her arms. And she's asking Albertans to phone up, call up their uh, MLAs, meaning, of course, government MLAs, to report on businesses, organizations that still have mandates. So, yes, she is not moving ahead with this formal change to the Human Rights Act, but she is still going um, targeting mandates in another way, using her office, using public money. So, yes, there was. we thought for a minute there was a pivot and then realized in that news conference, oh, she's going about it a different way. As for the Sovereignty Act, yes, we thought, look, she's going to have to pivot on this, water it down, and then move ahead on issues like affordability, Healthcare, those are the big issues right now facing Albertans. Number one is healthcare, number two is affordability. And she has, of course, giving money to um, seniors, giving money to families with small children, good idea, spread the money around that we're raking in from oil prices. And then we see the Sovereignty Act. And yesterday morning, it was like a uh, like the ice bucket challenge, basically, <laughs> um, hitting the media yesterday morning. We're going, whoa. And we asked questions again and again and again, trying to figure out is this what we think it means? And then we, yes. And we've got now legal experts weighing in on this. We get experts saying this is unprecedented. Um, what she's doing here. And again, as you and I discussed, yes, she's aiming at Ottawa, but really she's doing a lot of things here that could influence in a very negative way, the actual democratic process in Alberta. And she's doing it. This act is basically uh, playing to the angry conservatives that made her leader of the UCP. And because it's a governing party, she becomes premier. 42,000 people, 1% of the population made her premier. And she is saying that is a mandate to have her to do all these, to let her do all these things. The problem is we've seen public opinion polls in the last month or so saying Albertans don't like a sovereignty act. It sounds like separation, which is why she changed the title of the act to from the Alberta Sovereignty Act to the Alberta Sovereignty within a United Canada Act. It sounds like an oxymoron. Uh, it is. But she's saying this act will bring Canada together. But what it's doing is, again, two things, constant fighting with Ottawa and polls have shown Albertans don't want that. They want the government to focus on affordability and protecting health care. But so she is still playing to that base. Because The thing is, she knows if she doesn't play to that base, they'll move against her. But look, there are 2.8 million Alberta voters in the province, and the majority do not like her, according to public opinion polls, and don't want her to go down this road. So it seems problematic. And what she did yesterday is more or less, as you say, draw attention to it. There's stories across the country right now uh, about just how wackadoodle, as I call it, this bill actually is. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm... Daniel Smith's best friend, but I, but we've been colleagues. I, I do consider her a friend and, uh, and, and, you know, people say she's crazy. She's not crazy. People, you know, say she's an idiot. She's not an idiot. She's very smart. Um, but this, I, I really have to wonder about the wisdom 
of this move, especially this early, especially this close to an election. To state the obvious, Graham, when I was, I was just down in Calgary a few days ago, and, and I'll acknowledge it's getting into the holidays and everything, but, but I, I look at this beautiful downtown skyscape and half the lights are turned off. And it's been a, a city and it's been a province that, yeah, there's, there's been an uptick in the economy and that's exciting and we welcome that and I hope that it continues and I'd love to see every Albertan uh, and that, for that matter, every Canadian with a job that they feel valued at and, and well compensated at. But the fact of the matter is, is that downtown Calgary has been hurting and the resource sector for quite some time did hurt and all it would take I mean, especially, I mean, maybe not from oil and gas, but what if a big tech company or what if what if what if the occupier of of 16 floors of a Calgary downtown office headquarter, a national or international headquarter said, we're just not liking what we're seeing here and and, and we're going to get a better deal in Hamilton or, or we're going to move to Saskatoon or we're going to go to Halifax or we're going to move down to Dallas. I mean, that one high profile story would, could essentially literally tell me if you think this is hyperbole or me exaggerating. I don't think so. I think a big enough loss, a one off story would be enough for Rachel Notley to point to on the campaign trail and say, this is what you can get used to. This is what happens when you when you, you reap what you sow, essentially. Yeah, because this is, seems to be a gift to the NDP. You know, they can use this to uh, hammer at the government till now to the next election, which is the end of May, May 29th, according to the uh, the schedule. The thing is, there's also some uh, talk, though, some analysts thinking this is a, a trap that Smith is setting for the NDP, that Smith will next bring, uh, she's actually said, she wants her ministers to bring in some motions to change legislation, to fight back against the, the federal government, to stand up for Alberta, and there's a, a question is, okay, so she does that, and if the NDP vote against this, then all of a sudden uh, the NDP is anti-Albertan and she can use that to bash the NDP because they're in bed with the Liberals. So that's one scenario. We're, we're trying to figure out what is the upside to this bill. So politically, maybe she's trying to set a trap for the NDP, talk you know, so that they bring in the change legislation next spring, at least they want to, and then the NDP says this is this is wrong, and she can play that against the NDP. At the same time, though, the NDP can actually, the next few months, just reiterate and remind Albertans just how crazy this is, how damaging it might be, how it could drive away um, investors. Because, look, corporations love stability. Mm -hmm. They love to see things actually, they know what's actually going to happen. And this is this throwing a monkey wrench into all the government proceedings. So this is going to be an issue for people looking for stability in Alberta. Now, and it could actually then backfire on Smith. If people see this really as something crazy and it's going to cause damage to Alberta, it's undemocratic. And this, we're, we're trying to figure out what is the upside for Smith on this versus the downside. And right now we're seeing a lot of downside to this and only hypothetical upsides. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think like like playing to a base, we all understand how politics works. I'm going to ask you about Michaela Fry, formerly Michaela Glasgow, who vacated her, her MLA's seat in Southern Alberta to make way for Danielle Smith to run in that by-election. Everybody knows the story. Michaela Fry now employed by the premier's office. I mean, I say to people, well, yeah, that's kind of how politics work. We get how politics work. Uh, nobody should be surprised about that. You can be appalled if you like. You can be perturbed if you wish, but that's how it works. But in a general election, it's different. And as if you need me to tell you this, Graham, but like, you, you know, you, you play to a certain base that's 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 highly engaged and motivated and, you know, is going to turn out at the polls, because if you know you need 40,000 votes to win, you can go get 40,000. Nobody is winning a seat, let alone government in the Alberta legislature with with one percent 
of the vote of the population in, in a constituency. I mean, ask the Alberta party who fared fairly, very well and, and had zero seats, 170,000 votes, zero seats. So yeah, you get your 40,000 people, the pitchforks and torches crew, the ones that believe that you're going to be able to build pipelines outside of Canada or the ones that believe that it's a smart move to thumb your nose at, at federal regulation or at the spirit of confederation in Canada. But at the same time, I think that the general population is is smarter than that. I, I, I think that catering to the angry few, to me, is very questionable political strategy when it comes to keeping government. Yeah, we're seeing polls in the last uh, month or so. A um, bunch done by Janet Brown for the CBC. She's a mm-hmm. great pollster. Sure uh, one done by Navigator, a consulting firm in Calgary. And no one can accuse them of being, you know, pro NDP. Um, they're a very good consulting firm. They got people from all over the country. But um, they looked at uh, the um, Albertans, talked to them, and they found that people don't trust uh, Daniel Smith. Do not like her. The big issue is health care. And who do you trust the most on health care? Well, it's the NDP and Rachel Notley. It's not the UCP and Daniel Smith. So we thought there would be some move, some sort of um, shift to a more palatable, um, if you can call it that, sovereignty act that she would, in her, her address to Albertans last week, she was all about, the beginning at least, was all about affordability, cost of living, and announcing various programs to help Albertans with the cost of living. That's all good. And you can see, okay, that is what could win people over, focused on the economy, focused on people's uh, lives and livelihoods, to, to quote uh, Jason Kenney, who, by the way, has uh, has resigned. He is stepping down. Mm. Uh, at, once that act was put in yesterday, uh, he said, uh, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, that was symbolic on his part. Now, he could have quit. You don't think week. that's why, though, do you? I don't think that it was a knee-jerk reaction. I think that that was strategy on his part. Oh yeah, exactly. It was, yeah. It was a symbolic move. Yeah. Right. So he uh, he was going to quit. He, we knew he uh, he wasn't going to sit in in the house. He was actually his chair, his seat was actually literally in the back the back corner yeah. of the legislature. Um. So yeah. So he could have quit last week, but he he waited until the sovereignty act comes in and says, you know what, I'm out of here. So that was a symbolic move on his part because he was very critical of talk about a, a sovereignty act. You know, we didn't actually see the wording until yesterday. But um, you can see Kenny was very much, um, you can see he's very reasonable on this. He was talking about the Sovereignty Act as um, nuts. He's called it nuts. He said it's going to be very damaging to our province. It's going to drive away investment. This is sort of one step toward a big step towards separation. So he couldn't really sit there, I think, and support that. But he did take a, a symbolic move uh, yesterday and uh, said, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm- but going, but sorry, just quickly. Um, so, so Smith, we thought she was going to pivot. At some point, you know, I kept saying she wasn't going to pivot. She has not pivoted. I thought maybe I'm going to be wrong here. And then yesterday, I thought, holy cow, I called it a, a pirouette mm. with hobnailed boots mm. um, back to where she was. In fact, she's got boots on and uh, she's going to be start, it seems, stomping on a Democratic Convention. Yeah, we'll see how it lands. I want to ask you about Kenny's legacy in just a second. But, but before we do, uh, you know, on our live chat on YouTube, Lorraine, for example, says, isn't threatening people with provincial money against the law? And, and I'm assuming that Lorraine, I think she's referring to the premier and to ministers calling organizers of events, calling essentially production companies that would do business in Alberta's film industry, as if the film industry needs this, by the way, uh, all these barriers being thrown into the investment that they've been trying to attract, the, the, the attention they've been trying to get from, from producers around the world. But, you know, I, I'd be curious in your assessment, by the way, on the Arctic Winter Games front, the president, your colleagues at CBC did some great reporting on this. The president of the, of, of the Arctic Winter Games says, 
says the, the the funding was guaranteed in 2020. They said it's 1.8 million, not 1.2. She okay. she had she, they said the funding was guaranteed. It had nothing to do, and they said us lifting our vaccine mandate had to do with the science and medical advice we're getting it had nothing to do with what the premier told us. So they're kind of clapping back. I thought that that was pretty remarkable. But but is it unprecedented, Graham? Or let me ask, how significant is it for a premier or for cabinet ministers to be calling? film companies and games organizers uh, demanding or implying uh, that it would be a wise move for them to amend vaccine mandates if they want to keep their funding. Yes, um, I'm sure it probably happens, you know, behind the scenes. Hmm. Um, like not, the Politics is politics, right? It's not a very pleasant game. Um, and so the thing about this is that it's very informal. Like if this was an act, if they were saying, look, we're going to bring in an act to, to tell groups they have to follow provincial guidelines on anti-vaccines or whatever, um, then you can actually then appeal or, or fight that in court by saying this is wrong. By the premier just sort of saying it at a news conference very informally, there's nothing really to fight against. Now, you can't go to court and say, well, the premier off the cuff said this, we're going to challenge it. You have to have something written down, codified legislation or something, a motion that you can actually then go to court or at least fight publicly right now. It's her saying, I made some telephone calls and lo and behold, they changed their, their, um, their vaccine um, protocol. In this case with the um, active winter games. Yes. Um, they were saying that we listened to the science, but the way that Smith explained it, described it, she makes the call. And a couple of literally two days later, I think it was, they dropped their vaccine mandate. Now they can say we plan on doing this all along, but sometimes behind the scenes, politically, people don't want to, or even public don't want to say, yeah, I caved into pressure. I'm not saying that's the case. As I, yeah. I guess he said, she said thing going on right here. But, you know, politically, someone says there's money involved and, uh, you know, wink, wink. It'd be it, it's nice funding you got there. It'd be a pity if something happened to it. Yeah. Um, that's the impression you got from Smith listening to her. If the Arctic Winter Games has a different way of interpreting that, that's fine. But Smith is one we're looking to. She's the one in charge. She's the one that's saying, I want Albertans to call me up, call your ministers, call your MLAs and, and tell us about organizations and groups and businesses that, are, that still have mandates of some kind. And we'll give them a friendly call. So that's the the uh, context that we're looking at this in. Uh, Michaela Fry, uh, formerly Michaela Glasgow, the the uh, former MLA for Brooks Medicine Hat that resigned her seat so Danielle Smith could run there in a by-election, which she won handily, now employed as an advisor in the premier's office. Doesn't surprise me one bit. Uh, the question is, Graham, is it unethical? Uh, I mean, is it illegal? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, you're right. This, this does happen a lot. You go back over the years with um, Don Getty. You know, he lost his own seat in the 1989 election in Edmonton, White Mud. He ran for a by-election in um, Stetler. And I forget the actual name of the MLA who stepped down, but he then got a job uh, with a government agency later. You have other examples um, where uh, people step down uh, to give Kenny a seat in Calgary, and all of a sudden they get a government job uh, later on. This does happen. Is it politics? Yes. Is it unethical? This becomes an issue where they all do it. Um, if somebody does something for a premier, like stepping down to give a seat, that person is guaranteed some kind of job within the government. And I, I can't find a, think of anybody who didn't get a job Obviously. in government after doing this kind of thing. And you could look. The thing is, 
we maybe we accept it too easily within the bubble. You know, we're covering politics and going, yeah, this person stepped down, you know, uh, Bryce stepped down, and she'll get something from uh, the premier. She's actually working in the premier's office. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is that unethical? That that's a really good question. And you, know, you, you say from the point of view of an average Albertan, an average uh, common sense, uh, you know, uh, hardworking Albertan, they might think, yeah, this this thing stinks. But politically, it's something that's just accepted. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you in closing, we're talking to Graham Thompson. You can follow him on Twitter at G Thompson. Inc. You can read his his work. I mean, obviously, Graham writing for a bunch of platforms, including the CBC, but his column today in the Toronto Star at the star dot com. Uh, Jason Kenny resignation yesterday, stealing some of the thunder uh, from Danielle Smith and her bill one and the throne speech. Uh, how would you assess, and I'm asking the question generally and broadly on purpose, uh, how would you assess uh, Premier Jason Kenney's legacy in Alberta? You know, this is something uh, the historians have a better, uh, 10 years from now, you know, ask a historian or 20 years from now sure. what it actually means for Kenny. The thing is, his ending was not him departing into the sunset, you know, gracefully. This was a coup within the UCP that basically forced him out. He stuck around trying to maintain his legacy, any sort of good news release or anything good news over the summer. Kenny was there, the one, um, you know, cutting the ribbon, uh, writing the check, uh, being there to get the applause. But the problem is all of that's forgotten right now because we're so focused on the new premier, Daniel Smith, Sovereignty Act. What is she going to do? An election's coming up. Um, Kenny keeps saying, look, I, I, did pass like 95% of my promises I actually kept. Well, the thing is, his big promises were jobs, pipelines, the economy, and that all fell apart. You can blame the pandemic. His numbers began dropping, though, even in 2019, before the pandemic hit. Um, but yes, the pandemic completely upended anything he was trying to do. He says 95%. Well, no one really cares. I want to know what did you actually do? You know, his fight back strategy, you know, the war, remember that, the public inquiry into uh, on Alberta activities by environmental groups and that um, referendum against um, equalization last year, they all went for nothing. Now, these mm. things that he brought out saying, I'm going to fight back and start winning for Alberta. Well, they all fell flat. We knew they fell flat. But in fact, the thing is, Smith has said Kenny didn't go far enough. He did all these things and didn't fight strong, uh, fight back strong enough. Um, and now I'm bringing in the Sovereignty Act to do what Kenny couldn't do. So the UCP certainly isn't standing behind him. Of course, Smith is not standing behind him. Right now, he is leading under a cloud. Um, as for stealing the thunder yesterday, a little bit. But I guess that was um, basically a symbolic move to say basically, uh, you know, F you to the, um, the new Sovereignty Act and the new premier. So his legacy, I have a hard time figuring out what exactly that is in all seriousness because it's been so, so mired in all this controversy, the UCP leadership race and Daniel Smith taking over. So it will take like a number of years to really figure out what did he accomplish as opposed to all the political uh, fireworks going on. Yeah, I think if like obviously people will say 25 years in public service, it it deserves respect regardless of how you feel about him as a politician or as a person and to a certain degree. Um, I agree with that. I mean, there were moments on the federal stage where I, I think he was disgraced, to be honest, including faking or simulating a citizenship ceremony, which was, uh, in my mind, about as bad as it gets. Well, I shouldn't say that. Politicians always can take it to new levels. But, you know, I think even a little bit rich in his statement yesterday, and I talked about this with Sapria this morning on Seriously, our other podcast, that, that to, to hear him lamenting the polarization in politics 
I, 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 I laughed out loud when I read it. I mean, this is the guy that talked about accidental governments. This is the guy that, that was just basically so biting and so almost the, the, the the empathy that people might expect from a politician through time times, he, he seemed incapable of showing it. I mean, it was it was just the the way that he went to war, the way that he characterized the NDP, the way that he approached politics, the way that he handled his critics, including in media. Uh, it just to me, for him to talk about where politics is at today and how troubled he is by it, I have a hard time, quite frankly, taking it seriously. Well, yeah, there's an irony here because you know, he actually you know was recruiting. The crazies. Now he, now he was saying they, when they moved against him, he said the lunatics are trying to take over the asylum. You know, move against him in a leadership review. He recruited a lot of those you know, lunatics. I'm using his words here to describe them because he's the one that um, was cheering on the convoys. Uh, he was the one at the very beginning. He didn't cheer on the violence, but he did cheer on the very beginning. Yes, you know, they were going to Ottawa. He was going to Washington the same week to try and bring down that uh, vaccine mandate for truckers crossing the border and we're in this together kind of thing but you know, he did try to disavow um himself from them later on but he didn't do it hard enough he was the one that um, was pandering a lot to the um anti-maskers anti-vaxxers through the pandemic you know he was slow to bring in uh restrictions and then very quick to, to to lift them think back to the, the best summer ever and that uh, helped usher in the fourth wave and he was out of on vacation in Europe, apparently, but things got really bad. He wasn't around for that. He managed to irritate both sides of the political spectrum, those who thought that he wasn't doing enough to protect Albertans and those who thought he was doing too much. But he would kept pandering to this base. Now, this is a base that Danielle Smith has uh, mined, uh, exploited to become the leader and take take over from, uh, from Kenny. So he has a lot of responsibility. And you're right, there's a lot of irony when he's saying, you know, he... Um, is uh, he doesn't like seeing how divisive politics has become. You're right. He set the template for fighting against uh, the NDP, blaming them during the recession in 2016, 17, 18, 19, you know, blaming them uh, for the recession through the carbon tax. Um, and then Smith has taken up that uh, cudgel and is hitting the NDP with it, saying that you're the worst government ever. Also, you're in bed with the liberals. And the reason we have inflation, Alberta, is because of the federal government. Well, no, inflation is a problem throughout the entire globe. In fact, we're relatively low, 6.8%, 6.9% inflation. Um, we've got other countries. The U.S. is like 10 or 11%. Germany's at 10%. Other countries are a lot higher, at least higher than we are. But she keeps blaming the federal government for all of this. So, But this is a seed planted by Kenny, and, she, and it, the plant has grown, and it's, you know, tossed shade on Kenny and, um, and nourished the um, uh, party members and angry Albertans who have made Danielle Smith the leader of the UCP and premier, and we're six months out from the election, and things are really unstable right now. According to Janet Brown, her polls have shown if the election was held today, the NDP would win, and um, the UCP would lose. Hmm. Six months to go, though, to the next election, a lot can happen. Lots. And boy, you know, I keep saying things couldn't get more interesting in Alberta politics. Oh, they will. But holy cow, wait till tomorrow. Yeah. I, I opened the show reading a quick email from Ninja Mom. Uh, we love when people send us their thoughts, their queries, their suggestions for subject matter or guests to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Ninja says, uh, Ninja Mom, please have an expert on who will tell us that Bill 1 will not pass. Uh, I think you've got bad news for Ninja Mom. Yeah, because this is all about the um, support of the assembly. In other words, 
this is going to be up to the majority of members, and the majority of members are UCP MLAs. And even though you had uh, a number um, of MLAs support Travis Taves and others during the leadership race against Daniel Smith, even though you had some of the leadership candidates, three of them come out and say the Sovereignty Act um, would be a disaster for Alberta. They're all falling in line behind her now. So, yes, she's allowing the, the, the members to have a free vote when it comes to motions that would you know, use the act against um, Ottawa. This is going to pass because she controls a majority of the members in the House. Simple as that. Graham Thompson, I read everything you write, or at least everything that you publish. Uh, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, your expertise, uh, quite frankly, unparalleled in the province, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for making time for us. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. You got it. You can find Graham online, follow him on Twitter. And of course, uh, you can read his new piece uh, just out a couple of hours ago. Uh, Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act is a glaring and scary example of provincial government overreach, reads the headline at the star.com. We also got an email this morning from Sean, real talker Sean, who wrote in from Grimshaw, Alberta. Uh, you know what Sean did is, is he actually CC'd us on an email to his MLA. Uh, who's Dan Williams, United Conservative MLA. We really appreciate when you do that. Let us know what, you know, what you're saying to your elected officials. Allow us to help you in holding them accountable. Allow us to amplify your angst. Sean wonders, you know, when I read the news, I, I found out that your party's leader, Premier Smith, threatened to pull the funding from any organization that has a vaccine policy. That includes, uh, you know, almost $2 million for the Arctic Winter Games scheduled to happen in Fort McMurray at the end of January. The Arctic Winter Games are the only opportunity many northern athletes will have to compete at an international event. They don't have access to the same training opportunities that athletes from southern communities do. Do you, MLA Williams, support her using coercion to push her agenda? Would you have supported pulling their funding, possibly having to cancel the games? Or would you have stood up for your constituents whose children would have lost the opportunity to attend the games so Premier Smith could push her narrow-minded agenda. I wonder if Sean will get a reply back from MLA Williams. Sean, you let us know if you do. Feel free to forward it along, and we'll follow up on that conversation. This interview with Graham was presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We told you earlier this week that the Sherwood Park location on Baseline Road celebrating 25 years of excellence, and they've just had a beautiful facelift on that location. Same goes with the other four Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton, Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount. These are families, the Lieber and Cardinal families that take what they do personally, giving you the best quality eats and treats guaranteed, and that includes their DQ cakes. The DQ holiday log is a classic, right? I'm always recommending the treats of pizzas, and of course, you've got their blizzard cakes. There's nothing like a Dairy Queen cake. You can order them online. And of course, just using that drop-down menu, you find the location you need. Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road. You let them know that Real Talk sent you when you pick up your holiday cake from a Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park. Hey, while you're out in the park, why not check out Sherwood Dodge? If you're looking for a new Jeep, a new Ram, maybe a new vehicle out of the Chrysler lineup, you're not going to find a better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Right now, if you're looking at a Ram 1500, you can get up to 15% off the manufacturer's suggested retail price, up to $10,000 in total discounts, and, and even better, 
You can pre-approve financially and shop online from the comfort of your own home at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. It's a perfect time of year. It might not feel like it with temperatures where they are, with snow, of course, blanketing your backyard, but it's a perfect time to get in touch with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you can browse what they do. A custom landscape builder with over 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. Well, why now? Why is it a perfect time now to get in touch with Eden Landscaping? Because a lot of times coming up with the perfect design can take time. They want to pull your real property reports. They want to make sure that they're going back and forth with you to ensure that your vision is realized. And of course, with the supply chain looking like it is, sometimes it takes a while for those truly unique and stunning materials to arrive in time for your install in the spring. Once that ground thaws, check out landscapeedmonton.ca today. You let Mike know you heard about them on Real Talk. If you're looking to save money like most families are right now, parkpower.ca is where you're going to want to go for electricity, natural gas, and internet. You can compare rates online. It takes literally two minutes, and signing up takes just about as long. When you bring your business over to Park Power, make sure you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK. Why? Because they'll knock $70 off your first bill. And follow them on Instagram and Twitter. Some great tips on keeping safe in your home through these winter months, including one that we're featuring this week. That's being really careful with those space heaters. Thanks to Park Power for the reminder. You do not want to use extension cords with space heaters. They can lead to house fires. Obviously, a brutal situation. Park Power cares about you. They're your friendly local utilities provider. And coming up on Friday, we've got another edition of Trash Talk Locked and Loaded. Johnny, I'm expecting a record amount of submissions for Trash Talk, or at least they'll be up there to talk at RyanJesperson.com. It's presented, as always, from our friends at Local Environmental Services, operating out of Alberta and Saskatchewan, in particular, Edmonton and area, Whitecourt and area, Regina and area. They've got what you need for better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. That's what you get when you keep it local with local environmental services. Our favorite part of Wednesdays is is heading out to the mountains, so to speak, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. My Jasper Memories is a weekly tradition that we anticipate every week here on the show. This week, what happens when three teenage boys start dreaming about having their own bar? Usually nothing, but if you're Alex Dirksen, Brett Ireland, and Socrates Corogonis, three born and raised Jasperites who aren't afraid of a little hard work, you end up with the Jasper Brewing Company. It's the very first brewery to open in a national park in Canada, and it's an iconic apres ski spot in the mountains. I keep talking about that elk meatloaf there. Anyway, I digress. We're here to talk about the beer. But in the latest edition of Venture Beyond, the series, you can learn their story and get some travel itinerary tips from one of Jasper's most beloved locals. We're not going to show you the whole episode right now. We'll tell you where to find it in just a second. But here's a sneak peek. It all started with us in high school sitting in a hot tub. We were young and... You know, we had a dream. Brett Salk and I were, you know, best friends. We grew up playing hockey on the same hockey teams. We used to talk about opening a brewery, but at that age, that sounds really cool, but we didn't really know what that even meant. 
just sounded cool because we liked drinking beer. But as we got a little bit older, when the opportunity actually came about, it all stemmed from talking about it just almost as like a, a pipe dream idea that didn't ever seem like it would come real, but ended up happening, you know, six, seven years from those hot tub days. Really was kind of wild where things went. My name is Alex Dirksen. I am born and raised in Jasper, and I am one of the owners of Jasper Brewing Company. Now the video goes on to tour the Jasper Brewing Company, as mentioned, provides some great tips for travel itinerary. There's nothing like Jasper through the holiday months. You can find out more by visiting jasper.travel slash venture beyond. This series is really, really excellent. You know, for, for over a century, people have wandered from the beaten path to find these mountains and in many circumstances to meet the locals that make it tick. Again, jasper.travel slash venture beyond. If your holiday plans take you out to Jasper, we would love to see your photos, your video. You can hashtag my Jasper and Real Talk RJ. And chances are you'll see your memories featured on a future edition of My Jasper Memories Wednesdays right here on Real Talk. As mentioned, coming up on Thursday's show, we're going to check in with Calgary-based columnist Rick Bell. Rick leans right. What'll be his assessment of Bill 1 from the Premier? This is going to be Friday's roundtable as well, presented by our friends at Urban Timber. And also on tomorrow's show, he's a good friend of mine. He's a Vancouver-based radio personality. And as of recently, he's a heart attack survivor. If you haven't yet met him, you'll meet Drex on Thursday's Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.